Hey, this is John Douglas on tour with Aerosmith, talking with Jeremy White about all things rock and roll and drums and Aerosmith and Van Halen and all the cool stuff. Thanks, Jeremy. An all-new episode of The Jeremy White Show. Available wherever you stream. Our next guest is the drummer for the group that is four-time Grammy Award-winning, 150 million records and Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductees. They're bringing their Peace Out Farewell Tour to Montreal's Bell Center on uh, January 26th, I believe. Tickets are on sale at Venco.ca. It was supposed to be the final date of the Farewell Tour, but unfortunately they had to reschedule some shows, so it's no longer the final show, and I'm a little upset about it because I was supposed to go to the final show. Anyways, welcome to the show for the first time, the one, the only... Aerosmith drummer John Douglas, how's it going? Hey, Jeremy. Is it weird? From, is it weird to hear that the, dr- the drummer yeah, for Aerosmith? I mean, to be fair and technical, uh, Joey Kramer is is still the drummer for Aerosmith. Was and and always has been. I'm the, the my official title would be a touring drummer for Aerosmith. So that's uh, I want to make that clear because right. it's important to rec you know to recognize. Right. But thank Contra- you. Contrary to yeah. popular belief, he's still in the band. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So, what, so what's the reason behind it? I mean, like, is it is it a health thing? Is it personal issues? Like, what made you have to step in and you know, fill fill you know, grab the sticks? Uh, well, uh, originally, um, yeah, he got injured the night before a show in Vegas. This was back in twenty nineteen. So, um, uh, that's what started it and uh and then he had some some you know his 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 wife linda passed away suddenly and tragically last year and mm-hmm. uh so there's just you did, yeah there's just no a way decision that... that he had to make and uh it, it wasn't easy mm-hmm. um so yeah completely understandable yeah yeah, yeah. For, for you, I mean, being the drum tech, and then all of a sudden you get the call, I, I'm not going in. You're up, kid. Like, <laughs> were you completely thrown for a loop? Like, what goes yeah. through your mind? Like, did, did you yeah. even know the set? Like, um, No. I mean, that's never – even though that's happened to me in the past, you know, I did it I did it with ZZ Top. I did, I've done it with Slash where I've jumped in on day of show. And, and uh, it's still when I – I never enter into – a job like that thinking that that's going to happen. So I, I never, I don't, I don't purposely learn the show or anything. Now the nature of the gig is you're sitting back observing and I am a drummer first. And so it's just kind of by osmosis that I, that I learn the show without really intending on learning the show, but it's a totally different animal. Uh, uh, you know, playing along to a record or tapping your steering wheel to the song on the radio that we've heard, you know, a, a million times. It's a different thing when you're in the driver's seat, you know, driving a band, any band, but a band like Aerosmith for sure. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I was uh, not prepared at all. And yet somehow <laughs> I made it through and, you know, lived to tell about it. I mean, look, they could have literally called anybody to hop on the stool and you're the guy. So it says well, something. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, after that show, I, I think it was Joe Perry who's commented on, you know, uh, something to the effect of that was crazy. You know, uh, 
for me to say yes. And I'm like, I don't know who was crazier, me for doing it or you guys for letting me, because uh, it could have been epic disaster, you know. And of course, nowadays, everybody in the audience is is doing this. Oh, you know, yeah. So I knew it would be on YouTube before I ever got to my hotel room that night. So, <laughs> you know, there's no escaping that kind of stuff anymore. So uh, which adds to the pressure. But, yeah, it could have it could have gone so bad in so many ways that uh, I don't know what any of us were thinking. It's just kind of the nature of rock and roll. And look, Aerosmith likes it dangerous, man. That's one thing I've learned is they are very much still a dangerous you know, live rock and roll band. It's, it's, they don't, they don't step back from the edge. Yeah. It's yeah. Living on the edge. Cue living on the edge. Unintended. (laughs) Take me back to when you first got into music. I mean, obviously you, you must've been an Aerosmith fan growing up. I mean, like you've worked with some of these amazing, you know, rock and roll hall of fame bands at this point. Like you had to have been a Van Halen fan, Aerosmith fan, ZZ top fan coming up. All of the above. Uh, I mean, it, it started quite innocently with, with you know, like AM hits. I was the youngest of five kids, and so I just, you know, obviously I would, I didn't have control over the radio uh, anywhere, you know. Mm-hmm. So I just listened to what my brothers and sisters or my parents would listen to, um, and then you know when I, when I just dis- discovered Kiss, you know, that was like a revelation where I kind of then I had my own music that was, you know, my parents didn't my head, their heads were spinning. Uh, <laughs> and then because I was a drummer in band, when I became a freshman in high school, all the senior drummers were into rush who I had never heard of before that, you know, this was like a long time ago and they weren't getting any airplay or anything. It was like right. this underground thing, but all the cool drummers, you know, all my heroes in high school, these senior drummers and there, I was a punk freshman. They talking about rush and stuff so boom i don't i've dove deep into that into the uh, progressive stuff for like a get fan uh, yeah. of yes and yeah a little bit yeah bits of that and everything but at the same time i was very much into van halen and and uh queen and the cars and boston i mean all the all the great music of that era um i loved it all um i like that you mentioned so, queen cars in boston because talk about three bands that have incredible production incredible songwriting i mean like those records just sound phenomenal even still to this day still yeah yeah i know and you know i got to see them all you know live which is you know amazing when you go back and look at at, uh, at all the great music and the great bands that were around at that time you know so I was fully immersed in it, you know, all the time playing in cover bands and, and uh, you know, just uh, trying to learn my way around the drum kit. And, you know, I was totally guilty of squeezing every Neil Peart Rush drum fill into a, into an inappropriate spot of course, on, a, of course. on a cheap trick song or something, you know, just like, <laughs> uh, you know, just embarrassing. Oh, hold on. Your audio just dropped. You want to show your stuff oh, and you want to. Yeah. Okay, I hear you now. Oh, oh your, you your audio dropped for a second, okay. but you're back now. Oh, sorry. <laughs> okay, okay. it's funny that you said that about like Neil Peer, like drum fills, because like imagine that you just put like the subdivision into like you know some you know Southern Girls or something. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's totally inappropriate, you know. But you know, that's what you do. Yeah. What was it about the drums that that was like? Why not guitar? Why not bass? Like, what was it about the drums? You know, I don't that I I don't know. I mean, it's before I can remember. I know that uh you know there 
my parents told me I was beating on pots and pans, you know, before I could remember, you know, and I, I remember my mom getting upset when I discovered her knitting needles because they made mm. great drumsticks. Oh, yeah. So, and um, it wasn't until uh, I think fifth grade where I could start band in, in public school. Because mm. uh, we didn't have private lessons or anything. We didn't have that kind of money. And of course, this was long before the internet. And so the only way you could learn anything about drums for me was taking band in school, which right. has has very little to do with rock and roll. It's like proper, you know, traditional grip and, yeah. and reading music and all that stuff. But all that has served me well because it, it, it it's the same instrument. It's just translate over to drum kit and, and rock and roll and stuff. So, you know, I still use those, I still use those, you know, writing out music to, to learn songs, you know, yeah. so to this day. So it's a, it's a great tool. Uh, so much, many props to all my band directors that put up with me. <laughs> it's funny. That was my kind of experience in high school. Like I, I got into the only way you got into music was take the music course in high school. And then like you get into the band and it's like, well, I want to learn to play eruption. Why, why am I holding a, why am I holding a clarinet? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, I wanted to be Eddie Van Halen. I turned into Squidward, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, you say, that's yeah, that's a good one. I think, I mean, but it does, I mean, for me, it was, I, I, I love the drums and, 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 you know, four years of marching band in Texas, yep. you know, does a lot for your, your chops and for your discipline. And, oh, yeah. um, it's, it's hardcore. Um, and I think it, you know, I think it all works to your favor. It's part of your, for me, it's certainly part of my development as a player and uh dis like i say discipline of the instrument uh even though it was not what i wanted to do you know right. uh anyway it's good training it's all good yeah so then you transition from that were you playing in bands like rock bands yeah yeah okay yep doing covers doing originals in the garage yeah yeah, yeah. like a jam whatever yep D did you know that you wanted to be in the music biz at that point yes yes but uh, growing up in Texas, uh, that's something that's uh, I was I would say it's frowned upon, but it's not even frowned upon. It's kind of like what, you know, because everything here is uh, in Houston is, you know, either uh, you go Texas A and M for ag, or you're in the oil and gas business. You know, that's that's the business. So to to to, to say you want to be a musician uh, is you know. Uh, of course, all, everything I heard was, "Oh well, you better, you better uh, have something to fall back on," or uh, you know. And of course, it's the always thing, that, right? The only, Everybody always says that. Oh, you better have something to fall back on. That. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I hated hearing that with a passion, but but they were right. <laughs> uh, so, uh, and they would say, you know, well, at least you have your art because music and art was all I've ever done so in high school and everything. That's that's that was my passion. That was. Uh, took them that was both of my electives in high school and uh to me they always went hand in hand because if you're playing in a band you know first thing you need is a logo you need some kind of you know backdrop or, or and especially being a kiss fan, of course the show would have been important to you yeah all that the visuals and the art direction and all that stuff uh you know i i love that i still do i love that aspect of of the music business and stuff so so for me the double-edged sword of you know, the, the, both of my chosen careers have the prefix of starving. 
<laughs> starving artist, starving musician, you know, so uh, you were set up but, for failure, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I've succeeded at that part. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so how did you go from being behind the kit to, you know, building the kits and being being attacked? I mean, when did the transition happen? Um. Yeah, you know, in light of all this Aerosmith stuff that that had, you know, oppressed, I see a lot of, you know, uh, drum tech turned drummer, and I always kind of bite my tongue because I was oh. a drummer. You know, I'm a drummer before I was anything. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you're classically still, trained. You're in marching band. I mean, come on, you're a drummer. Yeah. I, I, you know, drummer, and, and anybody really uh, that's a drummer and plays out well, just by default. You're also a drum tech because you're setting up your stuff. You're tuning your stuff. Something breaks. You got to figure out how to fix it or, or whatever, you know? So, so to me, that was a, a natural thing. I was the drummer and the drum tech. And then as I, uh, I started customizing my drums early on again in high school, I was taking them apart and, and, and rapping. I didn't know how to paint drums at that point, but I, I would paint the kick drum heads with the band I was in. And of course, everybody, I remember all the reaction of, uh, fellow drummers and stuff is like what isn't that going to ruin the sound and i'm like it's it's a bass drum you, there's a pillow in there yeah you're doing everything uh, you, know, you can to make it sound like shit like come on <laughs> yeah yeah it's and, and it's just a little bit of paint it's not like you know yeah. but anyway so uh in customizing drums and, and and hanging weird stuff you know on it to to uh you know emulate like the alex van halens of the world or, or myron grumbacher from pat benatar always had great looking uh, yeah. kits and paint jobs and stuff. So I started, I just wanted my drums to look cool. That was it. And so I started painting drums in the early eighties and then playing around Texas. Uh, the guys from ZZ top would come see this band I was playing in. And, you know, Frank saw me one time and I was playing a kit and he said, your, your drums are cool. Who did that? I said, oh, I did that. He said, would you ever want to paint drums for me? I was kind of like, uh, yeah. Okay. So there you go. You know, that was like 35 years ago. So I, so in that, and then, and then, so next ZZ Top was out touring with drums I painted. And so some other drummer would see Frank and hey, your drum, who did your drum? Frank would give him my number. So it just kind of, that's, it just grew from there mm. to where I was all of a sudden I was painting drums for other people. But I was, I was on tour with the bands that I was playing in. Like I was on tour with, with my band, uh, Kit Tracy in the early nineties and we would play a show and then I'd go back to my hotel room and I'd paint drums for ZZ top or extreme or Manar or these other bands that, you know, so I've always, uh, look, Hey, look, I like to be busy. And, and that's yeah. a, another creative outlet, you know, that I still do today. Yeah. I mean, when you're not on stage for the 90 minutes or whatever it is, it's like, you got a whole lot of hours to yeah. do a whole lot of other things. Yeah. And I paint. Yep. Hmm. That's it. Where did the uh, where did the painting come from? I mean, like aside from like the music, like what got you into art? Uh, I look, hey, that was just those are just two talents that I I I got. You know, now I I worked at them. You know, I I, I practiced the drums and I and I would practice art, and I, I took them both in in high school. That's the extent of my training. Yeah, and um, well, luckily, aren't the best ones that got, do it are the ones that do and like. I mean, like, there's no better like school than actually doing the craft. Yeah. Yeah. And so for me, uh, you know, in, in, in school, I had to do what the teacher told me, you know, you got to try a little bit of pottery and watercolor and acrylic and drawing and pen and, you know, everything that's school, you're in school. Yeah. So, but 
when I would go home, I would, I would want to, I wanted to draw people. That's what I love to do. And because I wasn't into sports or anything like that, I was into music. I was drawing musicians. I was drawing kiss and I was drawing, you know, Elton John or whatever, you know, just yeah. whatever image that I, I liked, I would draw them with pencil, black and white on paper. So the only thing, the only thing I do differently today is it's not drawing. It's, it's painting. It's paint on canvas in black and white primarily. Uh, yeah. And I'm really focusing on music because that's still where my part passion is. That's what I do for a living. And, it's best uh, of so, both worlds. I mean, come on. Uh, yeah. It, as, as best as I can make it. You yeah. Know? Yeah. So when did you make the transition into like, you know, teching? Was it for Frank Beard? Like, was it, was it Alex Van Halen? It was for Frank. Um, uh, uh, early nineties, you know, my band kick Tracy imploded under the weight of grunge, Great band name, by the way. And, uh, thanks. We, you know, we, we, it was just unfortunate timing. You know, our, 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 our first record came out in 1991 and oh, yeah. well, nevermind came. Nirvana we ruined you then. Band. Yeah. I mean, uh, they ruined everybody that, that had hair or we came out of California or anywhere, but Seattle. Uh, and you know, look, I love, I love, I'm not, I'm not bagging the, the band or the music. It was just, but, but the, the, the shift was dramatic of like, man, if you were, if you were LA, even though this was 19 at this point, 1992 or 93 kick Tracy made, we made our second record and, you know, it, and our first album didn't come out until 91. We were still considered an eighties hair band. Oh, uh, you know, man. so it's just, you're just lumped into that because we were from LA and we had long hair. You know, mm -hmm. so it's just uh, that was immediately overnight. You know, that's that's 80s and now we're into the 90s. And, you know, so anyway, uh, I went back home to Texas and, you know, didn't really know what I was going to do. And at that point, Frank, I painted a few drum kits for Frank at ZZ Top. And he was like, hey, come come be my drum tech. And I was like, oh, that's the worst part of being a drummer, you know, <laughs> uh, I, but I had nothing else going, nothing else. Uh, you know, on my plate. And so I kind of like went, okay. Um, yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't a, a career goal or anything like that. I look, I love drums. So yeah. um, I like working on them. I like, I, I like everything about them, you know? So, but my favorite part is playing them. So being right. a drum tank is, you know, you, you do everything but that. So. Do you uh, have like a little bit of a resentment sitting behind the drummer? Like, Oh, that, that, <laughs> that could be, that should be me. <laughs> Um, that's a good question. I mean, I, I hope not. I don't, I don't feel resentment. I mean, yeah. there's probably more, uh, you know, jealousy or something. I mean, that's where I'm, I'm human and that is all I ever wanted to do. Uh, so, but even so just being a, a part of it, you know, I just want to do a good job for whoever I'm working for. You know, I want to, I want to make their job easier. I want to make the drums sound the best they can look the best they can. You know, uh, it's a it's a noble profession, I think. Yeah. Let's move over to talking about the Van Halen stuff a little bit. So when do you get the call from Alex Van Halen to, to paint some kits or go on the road with them? I painted some stuff for him uh, early 90s when I was still with Kick Tracy. Um, I, I knew his drum tech at the time, Rob Kern, and he called me to paint some drum heads and paint some kungas and, you know, miscellaneous stuff. Uh, cause Al never really had like the custom painted kits per se. He had the, 
crazy setups and a lot of creative, unique things with it, but it wasn't so much like artwork painted on the shelves that, that I was known for, but I did, but I did do drum heads for him. And I, and I painted a, a few odds and ends for him. And uh, really it was it, when, it, when uh, his drum tech, Rob wanted to uh, move into production, you know, Al was like, well, you know, find me a drum tech to, to replace you. And so Rob thought of me and, and called me up and, and uh, I was kind of like, yikes. <laughs> Cause this was like my hero and, and, you know, the mighty Van Halen and, and, uh, uh, but of course I said, uh, absolutely. You know, cause I want to, I want to sit behind that guy every night uh, and also his brother, you know? Yeah. So uh, yeah. So I, I jumped on that. That was, that was the tail end of 97. Um, so, and it was also another pleasant, pleasant experience in that, um, both Edward and Alex are great, great guys and great work ethic. I've never, I still never seen any work ethic like the Van Halen brothers and they, they respected their talents and their craft of, of uh, drums and guitar and making music and putting on a, a great rock show. And, um, you know, that never, that never waned. The, those guys were, just so passionate mm -hmm. about the music and their instruments. And I loved being around that. Right. Love it. it must've been incredibly like inspiring as well to be not only working with your, you know, I'm, I'm almost like idols at that point. I mean, like being a fan Absolutely. as well, like it, it must've been just super inspirational to be like, you know what, if these guys are giving it their all, like there's no reason for me to not want to give it my all as well. Cause it's almost, like you have something to prove to them. Yeah. And, and, and it's and it's a lot because they demand a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, what do you mean by but, that though? Like, what do they demand from you? Well, I mean, they they just they because they're passionate about the music and their craft. They they have high standards of what like when Al sits at his kid, it 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 needs to be just like he wants it, and the sound and the the lights, and they pay attention to all of it, and so that kind of. Uh, passion filters down through everybody that's involved, you know, right. and, and I just have a lot of respect for that. And it, it, it makes you try harder it, uh, because they expect more and rightfully so. Right. Uh, and at the end of the end of the day, I'm happy to give, give it my all to somebody that gives it his all, his all at the drums or, or whatever, and at the at the end of the night, you know, they say thank you, and that and that's you know, we do it again the next day in in the next city. Did you ever have conversations with Al about his old kits back in the day, I and mean, like why he had such big drum kits compared to other drummers of the time? Uh, not that question specifically, but but I mean, to me, that was just that was just all part of the, of the everything was Van Halen was excessive. You know, the amount of speakers on the stage, the amount of lights in the sky, the amount of drums on the stage, uh, you know, uh, everything was excessive. It was, um, you know, I, I, I've certainly asked him about specific things about, you know, recording or, or, you know, what he used on this song or whatever. And his statements are usually like, I, I don't know, man, we were just 
and they're making music and you know having a good <laughs> time that, drinking is that beer true, though like do you think that's true like he had no idea what he was doing, like how he tuned his snare or like like he, he wasn't a gear well, guy I mean, at all like his brother um he was a tone chaser for sure um i mean and he you know you mentioned his snare because that is arguably one of the you know few signature sounding drummers of of our time that's a very difficult thing to do yes. to, to have a a, a very identifiable drum sound you uh, put on intruder not, or pretty woman and it's like you know who yeah. is playing that drum kit yeah and look i get that email all the time that question of like what's the key to the alex van halen drum sound blah 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 blah, blah. and i have a pre-written thing i get it so much that i just copy and paste because <laughs> yes um the automatic the reply key, as soon as it says alex yeah. van halen just <laughs> automatic reply <laughs> yeah the, i mean the key is is Alex Van Halen, because in my time with him, he's played every snare drum under the sun, uh, maple, brass, hammered bronze, aluminum, steel, carbon fiber, blah, 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 every single one, all different types of drum heads. And they all sound like him, you know, and when I played his drums, guess what? It sounded like me. Yeah. Now. Well, that's what everybody now, says about, probably, about Eddie's, you know, rig. I mean, it's true. It's true. I mean, it, it's that way with all guitar players. I've seen it. Look, I, I just did a summer tour with with Billy Gibbons, you know, uh, in Europe. And, you know, it's like he can play pretty much anything. Once he puts his fingers on that guitar neck, that's the sound. Yeah. Doesn't matter what he's playing through. Doesn't matter what pedal he steps on it. And it's, it's, now they they all have their thing. Edwards, Edward Van Halen certainly had his thing and obviously was instrumental in developing lots of cool guitars and effects and stuff like that. But the fact of the matter is it's, it's in his, his touch and in his DNA. And it's yeah. the same with Al on the drum set. Now there's a particular tuning that he wants to hear from that drum, just like Ed's guitar was tuned, yeah. you know, but uh, it's, it's, it's in their It's in their DNA. Right. Uh, hold on. Yep. I have uh, I have something here, something really fun. This is the uh, John Douglas signature snare. I mean, uh, the Alex Van Halen uh, signature yeah, snare. Yeah, Alex Van Halen, yeah. But talk a little bit about the... Uh, oh, yeah. I actually had two at one point. I had one that I wanted to play, and I had one that just sat in the box, and I got rid of the other one because it just sat in the box. But I took the Van Halen head off on it. But the, I, I have an LM402 that I customized with the two blugs and the Millennium Throw-Off and everything, so I had like a mirror of it. But talk a little bit about this snare. I mean, like, what was it about the, the you know, the metal Ludwig snares that Al gravitated towards, like, on those last couple of tours when he was, like, a Rosewood guy for so long? Yeah, Rosewood guy. Yeah, I know. But in the early days, it was the when I started with him, he was playing a, bro, a hammered bronze, super sensitive Ludwig snare drum when I started with him. Uh, and they moved on to every, like I say, everything. Did it have but, all the taping know, look, and the muffling on it and everything? Yep. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and I put like a carburetor spring on the throw off so that it wouldn't fall off during the show because it had a tendency to do that. And yeah, we were doing the gaff tape on the sil Ludwig silver dot underneath the head. Yep. When I started, that's, we were doing all that. And, uh, and then you crank it. Ah, um, but that drum in particular started here at my house. I had a, an old Ludwig superphonic, mm -hmm. uh, Chrome drum was all, scratched up great sounding drum and i looked into getting it replated 
and, and it's expensive. Chrome plating is, is expensive. And um, I thought, well, I'm not going to do that. So because I can't stop myself from uh, being an artist, modifying, yeah, <laughs> modifying stuff, I can't leave anything stock. So uh -huh. I had this drum and uh, I thought, okay, well, I'm going to take a grinder to it and, and remove the chrome. Um, so I literally just held the drum and I held a grinder and, uh, with a sanding disc, I knew enough not to use a grinding disc cause the, the metal's real thin and I right just by it. hand, I, I, yeah, I, I removed everything leaving the bead because I didn't, you know, I knew that it would probably damage the bead hmm. trying to remove that Chrome. So I, I just removed and, and got all the swirl, all that, all that cool, you know, yeah. swir swirly, uh, ground metal look on this drum and I, I liked the way it looked and I put it back together sounded still sounded great hmm. so fast forward uh, I don't know when a year or two or something like that uh Van Halen was about to do a different kind of truth the the next record with Dave and so I was talking to Alice still here in Texas Alice says well what kind of do you have any interesting snare drums there at your house and I said yeah I got I got a few I got I have uh I think I had a I had a Tama Art Star two that with the inside had a layer of carbon fibers, kind of a rare oh, drum. Damn. Um, yeah, fact factory. Yeah, uh, I said I had that. I had a fiberglass uh, Tempest from Canada that mm. was a good sounding drum, and I had uh, and he said, "Well, bring all those when we go into the studio." Yeah. Anyway, so I had uh, I think a case for uh, with four slots in it, and I had three different ones. So I thought, okay, I'm going to throw that that Ludwig drum in there. Cause I knew it was a good sounding drum, even though he's right. got a million of, mm -hmm. you know, of, of the, of the, the 402 or whatever, he's got a ton of them, but I put it in the slot. We shipped it to California. And then, so we're in the studio and, uh, auditioning snare drums and he, you know, kept putting it up there and it was unanimous. Ed and now like the sound of this, this particular drum that I did. Wow. And, so he recorded the whole record on that. And then the two are following that. He played it. And then, you know, photos started getting out of what's the story on that drum. In the meantime, Ludwig's talking about doing a signature drum and snare drum, another one, you know, and I pitched, I pitched like the black and white stripes from the fair warning, right. you know, like, yeah, I did, I did there. A, yeah, yeah. And, you know, cause I thought that, ah, that to me, that's the iconic one of the, He's got many iconic hits, but for me, that's kind of the one. Mm. Uh, and so I even did a, a prototype, you know, I painted a, a, a Ludwig snare drum with those black and white stripes. And I forget why, but I threw a bunch of ideas at him and, and we kind of kept coming back to this drum. And so that oh. became, anyway, that's a long winded story to, to where that and it came became from. I love the fact that, first of all, I mean, like he's, he's Alex Van Halen and he has a specific tone just like his brother. But the fact that he had to audition snare drums for the record, like you'd think he'd have his go to at that point. Like, you know. Well, I think that's pretty common. I don't know. But but uh, like I said, they're, they're tone chasers and stuff. So, so, yeah. you know, you're in, a, you're in a different room and, you know, every day. Uh, Al used to have this thing when he would sit at the kit on tour or whatever. He'd sit down and you know, especially on tour and he said at sound check and he'd hit the drum and he'd kind of look at me. And I think he, now I think, I think back and I think he was totally winding me up, but he would sit there and play it and he'd go, Oh, huh, 
what's different? And I was like, everything, you know, we're in a, we're in a different city in a different building. It's a different day. It's a, you know, it's like, everything is different, you know? So you're, you're different. I'm different. I mean, what do yeah. you mean? I think you, I th at the time I took it really serious. Like, you know, you know, but I think he was winding me up, but like was <laughs> to your point, you know, I mean, in the studio, it's a, it's a, you know, it's, it's a different it, We weren't at 5150, you know, it was a totally different studio. Cause that's unusual for them. And, uh, was that at Henson? So, yes. Yeah. So, you know, they just, they just put up a couple some drums and that was the one that they settled on, you know, even though Al kept saying, you don't want a nice wood, wooden sound. So we put up all the, you know, his signature Rosewood and Atama Rosewood. And, and, and that was the drum that wow. got picked, you know? So, yeah. yeah, it's and it's funny, like listening to the man, I was front row in 2012. I, Van Halen's the one band Van Halen and Def Leppard and Shania Twain are the three bands that I've like spared no expense for. Like I've always saved up to like get like the front row tickets and the VIP and everything. And like, and I'd always go sit in front row like in 2012 and 2015. I sat front row and then I'd go to another show and I'd sit further back in front of my house because I wanted to hear the mix as like best as possible. And right. And it's funny, like on those tours, I always say like, I find Van Halen, um, like balance is like the best Alex Van Halen drum sound because it sounds like you're in the room with him and the snare and the kick, like, and, and on those last couple of tours, like it, it had that kind of sound. It had that, like that SM 57, like on the kick and just like that poppy, that woody tone yeah. of the snare, like, and the, that, doom, doom, doom. as soon as you hear it, like, you know what it is. And it sounded so good. Yeah. And it's interesting that he use this snare like as like you know on the record and stuff like that because you wouldn't think it would give you that that sound but it it does it does and there was no you know there was no gaff tape on the heads or you know I mean, it was a 57 um um so it's again it's certainly it is in the tuning because he's he wants a particular pitch so talk he's about the tuning a little bit if, if i'm going to tune this like you know like al's torque snare for example like what am i going to do to it <laughs> um well the copy paste uh, generic answer <laughs> yeah yeah uh, uh i'll bite my tongue on on that yeah. I, which is like no matter what you do it's not going to sound like alex van halen yeah but, yeah i mean i had yeah i had a benchmark my benchmark on tour was the uh the intro to moby dick on okay. zeppelin you know so because that never changed you know, no matter what room I did, what kind of, you know, whether I had stuffed up ears or whatever, you know what I mean? It's like that pitch would, would, was my benchmark. And we would typically go, if I remember correctly, like a couple of cranks above that, hmm. just a bit, but that was a, a, a kind of a starting point or a, like I say, a, a, a benchmark much like, you know, if you're a guitar player, a four forty, we're tuning to a four forty. Okay. Yeah. Maybe with a drop, drop D or whatever, but that was, uh, cause I didn't use any kind of, uh, electronic uh, tuners or anything like that. So I had to have something that never changed. Mm -hmm. Uh, and that, and that was it. Um, but, it, but, but it was, it always kind of moved from that a little mm -hmm. bit during sound check or, or whatever. Um, I, you know, other than that, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, sometimes yeah. we'd use, a was the bottom head was the bottom head looser than the top or like was it even um, um 
you know, it's, it's, it's hard to tell because the top head we is an emperor X, which is super thick. And the bottom head is obviously really thin ambassador snare head. A lot of rumors go to Alex Van Halen uses a ambassador batter head on the bottom. No, never. No, no. Um, yeah. It's normal snare drum head. Uh, not, not super tight. No, it's more of a feel thing. It oh, okay. Like a, a pitch. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know how to describe it other than that. You know, oh. and the, we use a four, 42 strand snare, snare yeah. wires. And, uh, did he, ever, you know, not, did he ever tell you why, like he chose to use so many snare wires on, on the snares? Um, is it a tone thing? A <laughs> it's, I mean, it's, uh, we never used a, a bottom snare mic. Mm-hmm. No, never. Nope. So does the, does having 42 strand snares on the bottom, like affect the tone of the top? Well, it's going to give you, it's going to give you more, more snare action because there's, mm-hmm. you know, twice as many wires vibrating yeah. against that bottom head, you know, which I think is more critical when you don't have a bottom snare mic. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and again, the snares weren't super tight because it would just choke the drum. Uh, um, it's kind of a feel thing of like of the tension of, of the wires mm-hmm. to the drum and, and, yeah, you know, there's so many different parameters on a drum of, of of tension and tuning and what type of drum heads and all that business. And still, at the end of the day, you're at the mercy of how the drummer hits it, and then you're at the mercy of the front of house engineer when you're playing gonna, in hockey arenas and stuff. Yeah, I was know? just gonna say, how important is EQ and compression to that snare drum sound? Because it must play a, a must it must play a role. Yeah, I mean, ideally, they wouldn't use any of it any EQ or, or, you know, the, we, we always try to get the, the source. That's what he now just make that louder, put it in the room louder. You right. know, now there's when you're, when you're battling the acoustics of a, you know, a hockey arena or whatever stadiums and stuff, you gotta, you gotta do what you gotta do. Uh, yeah. To still, to try to bring the drum you know, to the, to the masses at a Van Halen show. And it's also at the way he attacks, maximum volume. attacks the snare yes. too. Like it's very rimmy. Like, and I always found it interesting how low yeah. he would sit and how high the snare would be. Like, yeah, it, it like, it, it was almost like, like sort of in line yeah. with the, like, like higher than like you could rest your chin. You could rest yeah. your chin on the snare drum. Like, <laughs> it was always like, like I'd always, I'd see photos of him and his high has so high and like the snare, it would be like right there almost. Yeah, I know. It's a trip and he sits really low mm-hmm. and then, you know, big kick drums and rack, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's how a he sound. It. Yeah. That's how he likes it. Yeah. So to tune this floppy sort of bottom head, loose snares and just crank the top to Moby Dick and crank it up just a little bit more. That's what I think. If I remember right, that's what we did. Yeah. Was, that was like, you know, like I said, that was kind of the, the, the benchmark kind of, we keep it in there. So, cause a lot of times, you know, over time of a tour, you get fatigued or whatever. Things start get, getting out of out of whack. So you right. got to have something to bring you back to. Like, okay, that's that's where we started. This reference thing over here. Look, look where we got. Mm-hmm. You know. So let's. I just did that on a daily basis to keep it in in check. What about like? And then I would the- juggle snared. I would. I would. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
I would leapfrog snare drums. I would have two snare drums, you know, uh, in rotation and, okay. and, uh, keep the tuning between the two. That's yeah. No, interesting. That's really interesting because it, it's Thanks. funny because I have a lot of Van Halen nerds on my channel and like they're going to like uh, listen to this and be like, John's lying. <laughs> oh, yeah. I've been accused of that. Isn't that I'm the not. best, though? Because it's like, you know, you get go right to the source and they're like, no, no, they have their fabricated one liner answers. And uh, I'm like, no, no. Like, yeah. Seems oh, yes. Yeah. So early on, you know, because hey, I am a drum geek and I'm also a fan, a drum fan and in particular yeah. an Alex Van Halen fan. And there was one time on some kind of Facebook thing where somebody was talking about Alex Van Halen snare drums and, and somebody tagged me. This was back when I was on Facebook uh, before Aerosmith kind of blew me up. But, but, uh, so somebody tagged me and said, Hey, I bet, you know, John Douglas could answer this question. And, and I came in, I thought, okay, these are a bunch of gear, gear heads. It's like, I'll, I'll, I'll comment. And then I, I spoke my piece about, again, my, my, my experience yeah. with, with Al and the snare drum. And somebody said, somebody basically said, no, that's wrong. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I mean, literally, literally, and I kind of, I kind of went. My next comment was, "Okay, you know best." Period, <laughs> and I, and I was out. You know, it's like, you because what do you? You can't argue with people like that. No, where it's you know, it's you're yeah, not going to win. What are you going to do? Yeah, yeah, I mean, so it's clearly you know, it's like okay, this guy, you know, and then a bunch of other people kind of pounced on him, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, but. I didn't. And I was kind of like, I just like, okay, you know, best. And yeah. I was out. Uh, That's just kind so, of, you know what, like, from your I perspective, don't know, I don't think I've done it since in a public forum. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know who used to do that a lot? Um, Mutt Lang's engineer, Mike Shipley, he would go online and he would like, people would ask questions about like, you know, working with Def Leppard or Shania. And he'd, he'd talk about how they mix the snare or the kick or the hi-hats. And people would be like, no, that's not true. There's no way that that's what you guys did. And he's like, no, I, yeah. I did. I mixed the record. I know what I did. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, no, yeah. no, that's not true. You're, you're lying. Yeah. And it's the same with like hot for teacher. You know, that's the hotly debated, you know, how did he do it? And, and no, I wasn't there. Yeah. And, but most of the people that, that are on the, on the internet claim, you know, telling people how he did it or didn't do it. were also not there. You yeah. know, and uh, it's it's amazing how uh, in all facets of the music business, but certainly drummers where where they just think that they know and uh, they will they will argue with their dying breath. Uh, even when somebody that was in the room like Mike Shipley mm -hmm. and you yeah. still can't get through to these people. Yeah. <laughs> it's they, crazy. But you know what? You got to love them because you know, they, they got conviction. <laughs> hey. Yeah, and they're talking about it. Yeah. So it, the music's still alive. It, it meant something. It means something to them. So knock yourself out. Did um did Al or like, did the front of house guy ever like throw on like um any type of like chorusing effect or like, anything on on the overheads for the cymbals? Because I always loved how the cymbals sounded on those on those last couple of Van Halen tours. They just had this sort of like glossy like almost like i describe it as like liquidy like when you'd hit it like they would sound thick and they would sound fat but they'd have like this decay that had a bit of like modulation to them or something could that have just been phasing between the mics or i don't know uh you know i mean i know that's uh, a really geeky question but uh yeah dude you're a super geek 
I, I'm, uh, I was behind the cabinets. So, yeah. I mean, there were times in, you know, during rehearsal or whatever, where I would go out front and kind of, you know, check on the sound of something just so that I could come back and make some changes or report to Al. And then sometimes he would have me play and he would go out mm-hmm. front and, and listen, because that's one thing that, you know, he never gets a chance to, you know, he's, he's never heard yeah. Van Halen or, you know, his drums. So, um, I don't know. I don't, I don't know the answer to that. I would like to just say, well, that's just the magic of, of, of Peisty 2002 symbols. And mm-hmm. I think that's certainly some of it. Um, beyond that, I couldn't, yeah, I couldn't tell you, you'd have to have the front of house guy on there or something. Yeah. Who was the front uh, of house on your guy show? On, those, on those last tours? Whew. I know we had Greg price on one of them. I can't remember which one. Mm. Uh, we had Brad Maddox from Rush. Oh yeah. One of them. Uh, we had Oris. Can't remember Oris's last name. Mm. And it's funny because you go into those shows and the drums just always sounded so good. Like I got to compliment you, like fan, like the, just everything. It's of course Al's a big part of it, but obviously you taking care yeah. of them day to day. I mean, you play a big part in that sound. Well, now here's like maybe like a controversial question, but. When Tokyo Dome Live in concert came out, what the heck happened with that recording? Why does everything sound so dull and flat compared to like soundboards or like even just like, because if you go to the show, you hear Van Halen through the PA, sounds fantastic. That mix on that record is not what it should have sounded like. I don't know the answer to that. Because <laughs> like even for like, like. Next question. I know, right? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I mean. Yeah. If 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 look if it was if it was all so easy, you know, everything would be great all the time. You know, I mean, it's it's kind of like if songwriting was so easy, then every song would be you know, dream on or walk this yeah. way or you know, running with the devil. You know, I mean, it's it's uh, I I don't know the answer to that. It's it's out of my uh, out of my area of expertise and and. But I mean, um, if you go listen to like, you know, the the video you did showcasing the snare drum for for the Ludwig YouTube channel, you hear that soundboard tape of Al's drum solo. It sounds amazing. Like, it sounds fantastic. That sounds like, you know, it was professionally mixed everything. And then like Tokyo Dome, everything, it sounds like it's a two track off the soundboard, like bootleg. <laughs> you know, like it well, doesn't make any it, sense. <laughs> <laughs> it is counterintuitive. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, I you know. I, yeah. I don't know the answer to that. But they recorded every single show, right? So the, all those shows are sitting on a hard drive somewhere. Yeah, yeah. I don't, uh, I mean, yeah, that's to talk about a treasure trove, you know. And we also, we've, we filmed a couple of shows. Like, I know we filmed the Madison Square Garden and stuff like that. I don't know where any of that stuff is. Like full or multicam, what, you know, like that was going to be a DVD kind yeah. of thing? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. And then it'll just Maybe even Tokyo Dome. I can't remember. So, you know, I mean, it'll, it'll, a lot of... A lot of stuff is documented that never sees the light of day. And I don't even know the reason. Because uh, I'm, you know, as I remind every band that I work for eventually, I'm like, well, I'm a fan too. You know, I want to I want to see it, you know. Yeah. Um, but who knows? Was there anything special that Al liked having like in his in-ears? Because Al's what I find interesting. Al was one of the first guys to ever use in-ear monitors. Like it's technically because of him. Like we have yeah. them. Yes, correct. Uh, Jerry Harvey was a monitor engineer who pretty much invented in-ear monitors, and Al was the guinea pig. Yeah. I mean, uh, so, yeah, you are correct. 
his his mix is is pretty much ed and uh and vocal at times uh but not all the time so it's his his mix is very minimal and very little drums because he's sitting in the middle of the drums he doesn't he doesn't get much back of it quite quite a bit of uh of um overheads just like the whole kit uh now a lot of times you can't do that if the room is just too boomy it's mm -hmm. just you, you know it's swallowed in 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 ambience right. um but yeah he's he you know he grew up just listening to ed he used to have like a four by 12 cabinet you know in his ear you know <laughs> so yeah literally so uh, and then a PA to bring everything else to that level, you know, right. around him, like Texas headphones. Uh, Crazy. So, uh, yeah, in-ears were a godsend for to most of us, I think, to the whole live music industry, but particularly to drummers. Mm -hmm. uh, so, but the damage is done <laughs> from years yeah. of having a 4 by 12 Well, then you have the, that's why you got to yeah. get the custom in-ear monitors, you know? Uh, yeah, just yeah. How um how much of an impact does like venue have on a real on a drum kit sound, for example? I mean, like does does it really play a huge part in like tuning, for example? Like, are you gonna tune toms like a little higher in a bigger room to pop through the mix or well that's that's certainly one thing I learned from Alex Van Halen was exactly that. Was his his toms everybody talks about his snare tuning, but I, I'm like, well, no, I think now while that's important, mm -hmm. it's his toms that that uh how they're tuned a lot higher than you would think and therefore they do cut through the mix and you get you you get a nice delineation between you know 12 13 16 you know it's a nice it's not just thud 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 you right. know and uh and so uh, i did learn that uh, i learned a lot from him but that that in particular was kind of a revelation, if you will, when I, when now, when I go see a band play Van Halen or like a Van Halen tribute band and that, you know, everybody's so concerned about the snare drum as they should be, but they forget about the toms and the toms are like low and thuddy. And I'm like, yeah, that's not that, you know, and I think that's part of his sound too, because part of his snare sound, because the kit as a whole is an instrument. It's not just, it's not a snare drum and a rack tom. It's like, it's a drum kit, like a grand piano mm -hmm. is an instrument. So the whole drum drum kit is an instrument. So even though you're close miking the snare drum, all the toms are resonating when he hits that snare drum, especially the 12 and 13. They're right there mm -hmm. in that magic vortex. And, and how those are tuned absolutely is picked up by that snare mic. And the, the toms are tuned really high, really high. Uh, and they, they, they cut through and they resonate and – when when you hear him play the toms, you, see, you go, yeah, that's also a signature sound, in my opinion. Everybody just focuses right. on the snare, but the toms are crucial how, to the sound of, of Alex Van Halen in those Van Halen records. How would you tune the toms, like tight on top, loose on bottom? Were they like matching, or was it about feel? Uh, typically, uh, the bottom head because it's thinner, like like we have coated emperors on top and then clear ambassador on the bottom so you're basically talking about the head is more or less twice as thick on top so they almost can never be tuned the same because they resonate at different frequencies so the bottom head is tuned up about a third higher than the batter head mm -hmm. so and that's the way it is across the board um 
to get to get that sound in you know and i talk about in ears i rely on in ears for my tuning you know uh, during the day not only to block out the noise of an arena and everybody else but you know i'm i want to tune it for what the microphone is listening to uh because that's what everybody else is going to hear you know right. it's not going it's nobody else nobody else is on stage so i tune through the microphone into the in ears to really zero in on frequencies and fine tuning, especially the rack. To, well, all the drums there included, because uh, I want to tune it for what the mic hears. Because certain microphones pick up certain frequencies and stuff, so I want to know that. Right. So it's yeah. very, very useful. I mean, if you're using like an AE three thousand on a tom versus like you know, like a like a four twenty one, like it, it's going to give you two totally different results. Yeah, and the room you're in is going to give you different results, and the you know, on and on and on. Uh, so, and, and I, I do the same thing as a player, you know, it's like I tune them with my, with my, put my in ears in and, and fine tune them, the, yeah. the frequencies. Playing yeah. all the Aerosmith songs, you know, like loving an elevator, for example, I mean, you got those amazing Tom fills and like just some of the best like drum fills ever. Like that one at the, at the end that goes da, 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 and loving an elevator. Like it's fucking iconic to me. Is the band, do you have to modify your drum kit at all? Like, does the band say that you need to be able to have those, you know, the, the toms that have that tone to, to go do, 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 like, are you no, they as leave the all artist? That, they leave all that to me. They, they, they've been very gracious in, in that. Now, that being said, I learned the show on Joey's kit because of how right. the whole thing went down. You know, I was just subbing. I'm just subbing for him. Right. Still am. Yeah. You know, so I'm just trying to, you know, so. Uh, there, and I didn't touch anything on his kid. It just felt disrespectful. I, I, I think I put a drum throne up there because I sit lower. Oh. Uh, so that's the only thing I, I changed on his, on his kid. I didn't move anything. So I learned the show in front of everybody, basically, because mm -hmm. uh, we had no rehearsal. We didn't even do a sound check ever. Oh. And so I learned, learned to play those songs at his kid. You know, with, you know, no double pedal, no, you know, uh, now all this, all the stuff that you would use. You know, yeah. So, so when things progressed and, you know, I brought my drums in this, this set up basically how, how, jo how Joey did, you know, now I moved things a little now that for me, you know, but the basic setup, the parameters, and then the number of drums and all that stuff is, is basically the same. So that being said, I, I, as I did the very first night with Aerosmith, my job was, as I saw it was to get them through the show. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so I'm not there to make a personal statement or to, to shoehorn uh, my ideas into their music. You know, uh, it was to facilitate, like I say, especially early on, I was just, just to facilitate the, you know, yeah, getting the band through the show uh, while Joey healed, and so, um, and then as I, as I was there longer, you know, I would, I because I learned by osmosis what Joey was playing live, what the song songs were live. Then I would, as time allowed, I would go back and listen to the studio versions mm -hmm. and kind of learn like okay, some of that and some of what Joey's live, and then you know, and and the band was is still very encouraging for me to kind of make it my own into, into that. I, I, that part, I can't help, you know, it's like you could line up 
a hundred different drummers to play, you know, walk this way or, or love in an elevator. And uh, we can all learn it exact. Mm-hmm. And every one of us is going to play it differently because we're human. And that's kind of the, the beauty of it, yeah. you know? So I, 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 even though I'm trying to, I do look at, drum parts just as important as I do the vocal and the melody and the guitar part. It's me. I'm a drummer. So that's like when I, those, those parts that Joey wrote and played are, are iconic. There, there are places where I will inject a little bit of me, but not at critical ones like love in an elevator or so many times where to me, it's like, well, that's the fill. That's the fill that should be there. That's the one that's there as a fan. If I'm sitting in the audience, that's the one I want to hear. Right. You know, uh, so I, 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 I do really try hard to do that on every song um, and, and, and deliberate to the best of my ability for the band and for the audience. And especially from like a production standpoint, I mean, like I'm sure some of those drum fills have like lights sync to them and everything. And it's like if you play them wrong, <laughs> the lights will be off. and everything. Yeah, there is that. Yeah. <laughs> Are you guys like playing? elevator for sure yeah yeah I, I was just gonna say like are you guys like playing the tracks and like a click and everything you got like a lot of stuff going on in your ears through the show well that was new to to the vegas show there was because it was the production was what it was and what it is there's quite a few songs that are on time code for exactly that lasers pyro lights they're all on a time code so that i'm playing to a click so there's not tracks we're not we're not uh, like uh, everything is 100% live, the vocals and the guitar, you know, everybody's playing, you know, and uh, so the the click is for time code that mm. runs all the lasers and lights and pyro and video and all that stuff that's so critical. Timing is so critical yeah. on that. So, uh, yeah, that's so I don't know what the proportion is. Not everything. Not everything is on click or time code. Nice. So there's but still some elements of, of the liveness to the show, which is, which oh is yeah. Nice. And, and Hey, the, even on the click and the time code, it's a hundred percent live, you know, it's just, you know? Yeah. Which makes sense. I mean, you got a lot of stuff going on. I mean, I've seen so much video of the, this tour. It looks amazing production wise, like for a fan, like you're getting yes. bang for your buck. Yeah. It's gigantic. It's beautiful. Yeah. So with yeah. this farewell tour, I know, geez, we're almost going in for an hour here. We'll wrap up soon. I've taken too much of your time, but and you're being very gracious with uh, giving this much time, honestly. Um, Aerosmith, their farewell tour, peace out. Tickets are on sale now at Ticketmaster.com. Uh, Going to be performing in Montreal in my city. Hello, Montreal. Uh, January 26th. <laughs> Make sure you're there alongside the Black Crows. Uh, I was just going to say, so with the postponement of the last like month, basically with Steven, I mean, like, so is this, this tour is going to go into next year. Is this going to be, you know, like kiss and this is like the, it's the never ending end of the road tour or. <laughs> well, for me, I hope so. Cause when they, <laughs> when they, when I, you know, when they announced, you know, the farewell tour and I'm like, farewell, man, I just got here. Right. Uh, you know, so selfishly as, as uh, the guy honored to be, you know, playing with them, I would love it to go much, much longer. And, and selfishly as a fan, I don't want this band to go away or much the same as I feel about all the classic bands that are right, that I grew up with. It's like, I, there's a lot of farewell tours yeah. going on right now. And I do hope they go on forever. I hope they go as long as the Eagles farewell tour, which is what in their 20th year or something. Yeah. Uh, but 
because I'm like, what's coming up behind it? I mean, this is the music that I love and I grew up on and, and, um, and especially these because there's still... such a new like fan base, like all the young guys. I mean, like I'm like 29 yeah. and like my little brother's getting into Aerosmith that wants to go to the show and he's 19 and you know, yeah. it's, it's kind of sad. Now, fortunately, the, the music is always with us, but there's nothing like seeing it live, man. There's just nothing like it. Yeah. You know? I can't, so, uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be a yeah. weird time in life when you can't say, oh man, I'm going to see, I'm going to see Aerosmith tonight or, you know, I'm going to see Van Halen tonight. I'm going to see Def Leppard. It's like, it's going to be weird to not be able to say I that. I know. That's a world I don't want to live in. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. But yeah. So with those final, with those final dates that got postponed, I guess those are going to be the final dates, but is there plans to maybe go to Europe or South America? Like, is the tour going to be extended or is this, this is it. This is the final curtain call. I, yeah, I'm not, that's above my pay grade. I mean, I, I hope so. I mean, again, for, for my own selfish reasons, but also for the fans, because they have fans in every corner of the globe, yeah. you know, and I, I'd like to think that they, they have a whole freaking roller coaster this, named after them. I mean, yeah, come on. Yeah. So I think, you know, I, I would hope so. I think, uh, you know, I think, yeah, I would, I would hope I don't know anything. Yeah. <laughs> that's not unusual. <laughs> I love it. Well, look, make sure you catch Aerosmith on the road right now. Um, geez, if this is the farewell tour, you're going to have to go and check them out. Aerosmith.com. And of course, there's VIP packages where you can sit behind John's drum kit for only, you know, $2,000 and take a picture. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah, there's people <laughs> right back there. That's weird. <laughs> but man, hey, look, if I was a guy going to see Aerosmith or, you know, any of the bands that, that you know, I would, that's the ticket for me, man. I would love to sit behind the drum the drums and and see all that and and there's, yeah. there's a there's a walkway in in, a, in the thing behind me so it's not just you look at the, my back of my head which some might argue is my best side <laughs> but no steven and joe and the band they all they all are back there at times too so it's it's yeah, yeah it's, it's a cool technically show, it's like technically in the round but like not like it's it's like a cool but setup not, yeah 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 it's cool everybody but the, but surprisingly those are great seats behind behind yeah. the stage or so, sonically really it close sounds, to the band it sounds good i don't that i don't know i'm i get i'm sitting at the yeah i don't know i'm sure me, it does yeah you got you know what you're gonna have to go and sound check have the pro tools play back to last night's show and go sit in every <laughs> i want you to sit in every single seat yeah so i can yeah thumbs up thumbs down yeah <laughs> that's <laughs> awesome well, John, jeez, uh, thank you so much for your time. This is this is fantastic. I got my Van Halen uh, the drum key in front of me, which is kind of cool too. So. Oh, nice. I hadn't opened up that snare in a little bit, and I was just looking at it. I'm like, God, like what a work of art. They're just like, it, it's fantastic. What'd you do with the poster? I it's it's upstairs. I don't have. It's still in an envelope with the certificate of authenticity and everything. Yeah. Like I, I didn't want. Two. I didn't want to like put it up and like I don't even want people to know I have it because it's like, <laughs> yeah. you know, you know, Al's kid took that photo. Yeah, I remember when seeing Al it on took that photo. on the yeah. Instagram. Uh, I think I think it was his Instagram because yeah. we followed Malcolm. each other on Instagram at one point, Malcolm and I. And uh, yeah, just so cool. It was such a great package in the road case and everything. Do you think they'll do like another one yeah. at some point, like another Alex snare or? I, you know, yeah, we've 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 talked about it, and uh, yeah, yeah, it's a good question. Maybe do like another wood one. I've been searching for the rosewood one forever because when that one came out, I was only like thirteen. Or something like that, and it, like, uh, yeah, I think it was. <laughs> I think You're it was, a punk. Yeah, I know. I saw them. Yeah, November eleventh, two thousand seven. I think it was at at Montreal's Bell Center, and uh, 
first time I ever saw Van Halen and then the snare came out. But I, I was pumping gas at the gas station, like trying to save up to try and get the Wolfgang. I, I was there was no way I was going to get the, the Rosewood snare. And I've been searching for years yeah. to try and find one. And so so if you know a guy, let me know. I have one, but you're, you're not having it. You can't I'm not it. getting that one. <laughs> no. An all new episode of the Jeremy White Show. Available wherever you stream.